Please be seated. Last week, Emily and I kicked off a series of sermons that we're calling, Do You See What I See? Because what if we saw the people and the events and the experiences around us the way Jesus saw? And we're taking this off of the popular Christmas song, Do You Hear What I Hear? Yes, and... I know it's January, um, but maybe we shouldn't see Christmas as the finish line like we tend to do, right? Like we get through all of the decorating and the parties and the celebrating and the gifts and to arrive at Christmas Day and then it's over. But what if we saw Christmas as the starting line instead of the finish line? Recognizing that it is at Christmas that the divine came to be with us, to dwell among us, to live with us. And so we start at Christmas living with Christ. And so following that song, we can consider seeing, hearing, knowing like Christ. And then the last verse of that song says, listen to what I say. And so we listen to what the Lord says. Now, last week we started with a message entitled, Do You See What I See? And considered when Jesus saw Zacchaeus up in the tree, what did he see? And what does that mean for us? And so this week we move to consider not... Do you see what I see? But do you hear what I hear? And hearing what Jesus heard. And when Jesus was listening to his disciples in one particular place in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus heard them talking, actually heard them arguing. And so that's our scripture lesson for this morning. It comes from Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 50. We'll put it up on the screen so you can follow along as I read it aloud. And this is what it says. An argument arose among the disciples about which of them was the greatest. Aware of their deepest thoughts, Jesus took a little child and had the child stand beside him. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever is least among you, whoever is least among you all is the greatest. And then John replied, Master, we saw someone throwing demons out in your name and we tried to stop him because he isn't in our group of followers. But Jesus replied, don't stop him. Because whoever isn't against you is for you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our scripture reading began with Luke telling us that an argument arose among the disciples. Are you as blown away as I am by that thought that 
followers of Jesus would argue with each other just doesn't even land, does it? (laughs) Cannot fathom that Christians would be arguing with one another. Thank goodness we don't have that problem anymore. We've gotten over that. But it says they were arguing with each other. And, you know, I, I try to explain that to people when they interview for jobs here at the church. Um, speaking of, we've, we've had several open positions here, and we're, we've hired some people on staff of the church, and you'll be hearing about that this week. If you're in the loop with church communications, you'll hear about some of the folks that we've hired. But in the interview process, I usually try to say to every candidate, uh, particularly if they've never worked in a church, um, it's not the bucket of sunshine you think it's going to be. Uh, people come and interview for a job at a church thinking it's going to be a little slice of heaven, and all, it's all these Christians that I get to work with, and everybody's just nice and pleasant, and they get along, and nobody argues or fights. And, and I just try to help explain to everybody who's interviewing for jobs here, that, that's not what you're getting into. <laughs> people are people, and people in the church argue too, just like people outside the church. And it's something that Jesus dealt with with his disciples. I mean, and these were the people who walked around with Jesus himself. And they were arguing. And they were arguing, Luke tells us, about who among them was the greatest. Which of us is the greatest of Jesus' disciples? I don't know how you even begin to have that argument. Like what? What did they say? I'm the greatest. No, 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 I'm the greatest. Well, I'm the greater greatest. No, I'm the greatest greatest. Infinity. And what, and what do you base that on? Like, how do you even measure who's the greatest disciple of Jesus? I'm the closest to him. Oh, well, I've known him longer. Oh, he likes me. Look, busted. Yeah, I knew that he, li- he likes me. Well, I understand him more. Oh, I'm more gifted. I'm smarter. Like, how do you even argue about who's the greatest disciple of Jesus? But they were. And now, before we get too proud of our own selves, right, let's, let's pause before we throw the disciples under the sanctimonious self-righteous bus. Well, on the one hand, because that word that's used there that says they argued, it's used in other places in the Scriptures to say there's a discussion being had or a debate being had. So there's a sense in which arguing, sure, debating, maybe discussing who's the greatest of the disciples. Maybe it was something a little bit more subtle. Maybe it was a discussion or debate or an argument about who's right. (laughs) Who understands Jesus' teachings? Who's making an A in Jesus' class? (laughs) What the decision-making process should be like among them. Who should be in charge? Who should be saying what's right? And what's wrong? All of a sudden, that 
argument or debate or discussion sounds a lot more familiar. But it says, as they were having this spirited conversation, Jesus became aware of it. Jesus heard them. Well, we hear a lot of things, don't we? Especially these days. Constantly, we hear things, people. I read an article about a study done at the University of Missouri on listening. So they were studying listening. And a couple of things that that the article said, some were interesting, some were a little disheartening. uh, But among other things in the article, it said that we spend about 80% of our waking time communicating, in communication. About 45% of our time we spend listening. It's actually the thing we do the most of, in some sense. It's our primary means of communication, is listening. We do more listening than we do talking, than we do looking. But you might think, you know, well, maybe we look more than we listen, but you can close your eyes. (laughs) You can't close your ears. Nuts. I was hoping somebody would try to do that. I didn't see anybody. We're always listening, hearing things. And some of the things we hear are wonderful. There you go. Thank you. Some of the things you hear are wonderful. We hear the sounds of nature. We hear music. We hear laughter. Some of the stuff we hear is noise. (laughs) Some of it's frustrating or aggravating. It, It seems like there's always something that we're hearing. Other people's voices. We hear so much. How much of it do we retain? Right, the study said that uh, in a, if there's a 10-minute oral presentation that's being given, this is the part that got disheartening for me, given my vocation. If there's, if there's a 10-minute oral presentation being given, that when people leave, they retain about half of what was said. And 48 hours later, that goes down to 25%, one-fourth of what they heard do they retain. You can see why that would be a little disheartening to hear. Which I think is why some of our clergy colleagues preach for an hour. Because if they got 15 minutes worth of something to say, and they know you're only going to remember a quarter of it, then they got to give you an hour's worth of sermon just to hope you get the 15 minutes of what they wanted you to hear. I didn't ask if we do that here. That's not, thank you for the commentary. But you know, part of that, the retaining, right, is, is hearing what was said and understanding it, taking it to heart, which is what it says that Jesus did. When it said Jesus was aware of their arguing, their debating, their discussing, it says he was aware of their deepest thoughts. So it was not just that he heard the words or the way they were being said, but he knew what they were thinking, what they were feeling, what was going on inside of them that was motivating this discussion, this conversation. And now maybe some of what he heard was this race to the front of the line by the disciples. Maybe what he heard 
was them trying to understand what it meant to be right. To live the faith rightly. What does that mean? Who gets to say what that means? Who sets that bar? How do we live that out? Maybe he heard a desire in them to be found faithful. And a discussion about it. It's also something that Jesus overhears from the Pharisees, by the way. If you read in the scriptures, there are multiple occasions where it says that Jesus overhears the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the the legal experts, the religious leaders, and they're grumbling and, and upset because of Jesus. Because a lot of what he's doing and saying and teaching directly challenges their understanding of what it means to be right. And particularly challenges their authority. I can't help but notice that what Jesus hears from his disciples and what he hears from the Pharisees kind of shares a common thread about who gets to be in charge and who gets to be right and make the decisions. Who has best welcomed God and is most deserving of the appropriate recognition thereof? And when Jesus hears this amongst his disciples, his response is to call a child over to stand next to him. And he says to his disciples, in response to this discussion, this debate, this argument they're having, he says, whoever welcomes this child welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And we would understand that to mean God as the one who sent Jesus. So Jesus is saying to welcome God, you welcome me. And to welcome me is to welcome this child. And isn't that what we all want? Is to welcome God into our lives, into our world, I mean, you don't even have to be Christian to want that. Most of the other major world religions, that's what's at the root, at the core, is the desire to welcome God into life and into the world. Even an agnostic wouldn't say, that's what I want. I I, I want that. I want to welcome God into the world. I just don't know how. Jesus said to welcome God. He's to welcome me. To welcome me. It means to welcome this child. And welcoming a child from a pastor's perspective is vital in a church. Which is why to me, for, for my money as a pastor, when you talk about a children's ministry, what's most important is how do we best help children see and understand the love of God for themselves. And there's a little difference between, when you're talking about children's ministry, there's a little difference between saying, this is what's best for a kid. This is what a kid should have. And what's the best way to demonstrate the love of God to them? Now, in in actuality, when Jesus calls that child over to himself, yes, it's significant welcoming children into the presence of God, but that child in some ways is a proxy 
and is filling in to represent for Jesus his answer to what he hears his disciples arguing about. The child serves as a proxy for somebody who doesn't know, who doesn't understand, who hasn't heard the faith taught and explained, hasn't been raised up in it. The child sort of represents somebody who's unknowing, someone who's uninitiated, if you will. Thank God for the uninitiated. God loves the uninitiated. And what Jesus is saying in response to his disciples' argument is welcome the uninitiated. He says, the least among you will be the greatest. He's saying, those among you and around you who are new to this are the ones who get my greatest attention. i say something else that that study done by the University of Missouri said was um, that children listen really well. So what they did as a part of this study is they had teachers in classrooms of all ages uh, in their teaching, they would just, right in the middle of whatever they were teaching, they would stop and call out the kids and say, what did I just say? And so have the kids respond back to the teacher, what the teacher just said. And what they found in their research is 90% of elementary school children could answer the question correctly. When the teacher says, what did I just say? They could respond. Middle school kids, that percentage dropped to 44 <laughs> percent. High school kids, it dropped to 28 percent who could answer that question. What did I just say? Are we so proud to think that for some reason that trend line turns way up the older we get all of a sudden? For instance, I wonder how many of you in here remember the name of the university that did that study. (laughs) I've mentioned it twice. (laughs) Children, listen. They hear you even when you don't know they hear you. And not only do they listen, man, they're processing it. And I think the same is true, what Jesus is saying. For people who are new to the faith or have no faith at all, maybe who are coming from a place of skepticism or curiosity or or just sort of dipping their toe in the water, been my experience spending time with those folks, they listen. They're paying attention to what they're reading in the Bible and what they're hearing out of the mouths of Christians and out of the mouths of the pastors. A lot of times, much more so than people who've been in it all their lives, because you've heard it a thousand times and it just sort of comes and goes. But when the disciples reach this point where they're debating, they're discussing, they're arguing amongst themselves, Who's the greatest? Who's right? Who gets to be in charge? Who gets to be making the decisions? Who's closest to Jesus? Who knows the faith the best? Jesus' answer to them is to pull this child over, this uninitiated, unindoctrinated child, and say, if you welcome this child, then you're welcoming me. And if you're welcoming me, then you're welcoming the one who sent me. 
Jesus turns their focus, their attention off of themselves and this argument they're having within their walls and turns them out to the people, to the children, to the unindoctrinated, uninitiated all around them. To say, this is where my focus is. Of course, God bless John. Luke tells us that in that moment, John replies to Jesus and says, Oh yeah, well by the way, Jesus, did you know there's a guy out here casting out demons in your name? And we tried to get him to stop because he's not in our group. But he wouldn't stop. And Jesus is like, seriously, John? <laughs> Could you just chill for a minute? Don't stop him. It's because he's not in your group. Jesus said, if they're not against you, then they're for you. Although we would hear like Jesus hears. In the midst of the debate and the arguing and the discussing about who's the greatest, who knows the most, who should get to make the decisions, who should be in charge, who's in, who's out. In the midst of listening to all of that, Jesus says, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What about those among you who know the least, who are coming to the table with no stake, no claim to being in charge or being the greatest? It's one of the reasons that for me as a pastor, when I think about what we do as a church and how we do church, I run everything through the filter, through the lens of what does this look like to somebody coming into the church for the very first time? never having experienced church life before. How would it be received by that individual? What would be the meaning? What would be the significance? What communicates the love of God? Does it communicate welcome or does it communicate a barrier? It's also one of the reasons I'm thankful that the leadership of this church has tasked Emily and I to take the 845 worship service and rework it and let it be Something for people who don't go to church, who've never been to church or haven't been to church in a long time, maybe trying it for the first time. And so we're excited to get to do that kind of work with the 845 service. Some of you that are in here, we're in here at 845 just checking it out. But all of that so that we as a church might hear like Jesus hears. Even hear ourselves the way Jesus hears us. Hear each other the way Jesus hears hears us. And in response, hear Jesus say, how about you focus on welcoming the child? So in just a minute, I'm going to invite you uh, to sing our last hymn. It's a, it's a time for reflection and response. But I invite you personally to consider What does that mean to hear like Jesus hears in your life when it comes to your faith and the life of the church? Maybe the conversations you're having or you're a part of? The lives of the people around you? And what would it mean for you to respond the way Jesus responded? And to put your, to put our attention, our focus, our interest, our emphasis, not on us and what we want and who we think ought to be in charge, but on the people around us who maybe don't yet know fully for themselves the love of God.
as we sing that hymn, the altar rail will be open for you if you'd want to come forward and pray here. You're welcome to do that, or you can pray right where you are. I'm just inviting you to be open to hear the voice of God for you today. So would you stand now as we sing together?